Hello. Hi. I'm Alex. I'm Val. We're here to talk about more Sopranos. Yep. We just watched Full Leather Jacket. Mm-hmm. Season 2, Episode 8. Yep. And... We're ready to talk about it. We're kind of ready to talk about it. Um... I remembered a lot of scenes from this episode, like yeah. in the context of the show. But again, like I don't remember them all happening in the leather jacket episode. That I mean, that story kind of stands out. Yeah. On its own. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how you want to approach it. It, it well, it's a kind of a funnier episode to try to do this for. It is. I mean, it definitely becomes an episode where it really kind of propels the plot of season two forward. The events at the very end are pretty pivotal. And but it then also, I think also kind of like some of the philosophical stuff in the show, though, too, is totally. at least like, I don't know, there's like a lot of these monologues or like bits of dialogue that seem to like hold more significance than just in that moment of like the story, but like mm. kind of for the show on a whole. But, Definitely. I, but like some, as of, them, always, but some I, of them are yeah. hard to figure out. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, as always, I feel like there's something. kind of an angle and they're examining morality and principles and kind of like the the values of the Sopranos mm-hmm. and Soprano world kind of within this episode, like they do in a lot of episodes. And they kind of come at it from a certain angle. And I think that that's definitely happening in this episode. There's kind mm-hmm. of like a theme and a focus to the way that they examine these characters and go a little bit deeper. It's just amazing how they can do both of those things. Like yeah. they can not only propel the action forward, but they can also like do these kind of like in-depth character sketches like of... Jeannie and Joan Cusimano in totally. this episode or like to be able to Joan is actually a new character well exactly yeah. right and do we even see her again afterwards like no, I think I she's think so. just confined to that episode yeah. but you like have this understanding of these char- these sisters yeah. these twin sisters even Jeannie's by essentially the same... a new character well I mean, totally we haven't really yeah. examined her as a character yet like we wouldn't have been able to like b- say give her personality her. characteristics no. where you could now um, but yeah, like the, and, and this is the shortest episode, the shortest episode, I think in the entire series. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really shocking. I mean, they really use that to strong effect. I mean, when Christopher shot at the end and it's just over, Yeah. I mean, it really hammers home the significance of that event. Yeah. How do we want to go through well, this? So going like... to what I was saying, like, I feel like all of the episodes of Sopranos kind of take a certain angle mm-hmm. and kind of approach to examining these characters and the issues at play. So I feel like that's happening. And, and what you were saying, I think is really interesting is it's amazing how they can do multiple things mm-hmm. at once. So I feel like that's even kind of happening. Like there's multiple different angles kind of happening within one episode. So like I thought with Carmela, there's and her story with Jeannie and Joan Cusimano, there's kind of an examination of principles and selfishness mm. Mm. and kind of like protecting your family and caring about yourself and by extension your family without really thinking of the implications of how that would affect other people yeah. or the fairness or the justice of that. Yeah. So I feel like that actually kind of got deeper into who some of the characters are, in particular Carmela. I also thought with um, Matt and Sean mm-hmm. and their interactions with Christopher and Furio and Richie, there's a lot of kind of focus on masculinity and asserting themselves mm. and kind of proving themselves. And I thought that that was kind of something that An was kind of, a, of established yeah. during this episode. And and then I think there was also separately, those are kind of the two things that I was thinking of kind of jumping into. Yeah. But then that last scene with Melfi, I thought was a little bit 
interesting yeah, and rather profound. Even though it was so short, but this kind of well, it goes duality back to of, last episode. It does. It's kind of like a like they're kind of like expanding mm-hmm. on that. But it's interesting to have this. It's kind of unresolved, but it's unresolved with this kind of duality of these two completely contradicting interpretations of the information. Mm-hmm. So you have Tony who thinks that he was having Meadow. Like shielded or. Well, he thinks that he was rubbing her face in his right, business right, by right, giving right. the car. Whereas Melfi thinks that he was giving the car in order to confront moral ambiguities. And like encourage her to confront moral ambiguities Yeah, and as, as well. she leaves yeah. to kind of encourage her development. Yeah. And so, yeah, that that was really interesting because that is left kind of unresolved and it's complicated and I think that is kind of an example of ambiguity because I'm not sure how to take that I'm not sure if Melfi is correct or Tony is correct or if they both are if there's kind of like a more nuanced kind of combination of those two things that's actually the truth yeah no for sure I thought that was a really interesting scene yeah and Tony kind of references when he brings it up to rub her nose in it so it's actually like a kind of like punitive action mm-hmm. or spiteful or something yeah. that he could have known. And then he says, well, why didn't I? I don't know. And then Melfi actually thinks that they're coming to a breakthrough on this. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting because Melfi thinks that they're coming to a breakthrough with an interpretation that actually gives Tony a lot of credit. Yeah. And Tony's upset and, by that. And he doesn't like that. He's like, you're telling me I like rubbed her face in this shit and you're telling me I did something noble. And that's something that he's yeah. talked about in the past, saying that he doesn't like that being made to feel like he's a victim. In fact, yeah. he just said that in the you know, in a very recent yeah. session. The other thing that's interesting there, it kind of again it goes back to last episode with the happy wanderer thing. Mm-hmm. Um I forget exactly the words that he uses to describe it, but basically he's talking about um Dave Scavino from last episode and talks about how he's a degenerate gambler, but he's also respected in the community. Yeah. And that's kind of what he's jealous of. Like that kind of also like defines that happy wanderer thing for him. Right. That this is someone who can like be a degenerate, but like still has the respect of their community. And I think it links in. I think it links into like what Carmela is going through too, because Carmela can't just be a mom who's, asking for a letter of recommendation from a lawyer, right? It's that like that scene that she plays so beautifully in the in Joan Cusimano's yeah. office where she's like, what, me threatening? And yeah. she's coming across as very threatening. Like she could never be seen as anything but a mob wife. Yeah. Right? And so in terms of kind of accessing like being respected in the community. So whether that's like, you know, your neighborhood or like the Georgetown community, for example, there's always kind of this um, whatever shade over the Soprano family because of yeah. who they are, right? Yeah. Um, so I thought that was interesting for like both Tony, like defining what it is about the happy wanderer that bothers him so mm-hmm. much, but also like in light of Carmela's situation. Right. Too. Um, Yeah, and also that duality there, like that contradiction of somebody who's a respected member of the community, but also has like this crippling kind of darker side. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Jeannie Cusimano, I never knew she was such like a, I don't know, like she just like repeats back things people have told her to say. Like I didn't see her as kind of so And she's anxious. She's so anxious. I mean, to good... You know, like, for good reason. Yeah. It's the kind of the first time we see, like, 
you know, how would you feel living beside someone like that, right? Yeah. Like, you actually would be really anxious and scared, of right? We, we kind of are, you know, based on the way this show makes you feel, we're inclined to kind of like the Soprano family or at least yeah. empathize with them, but then we can actually see how they're perceived by the outside world. Yeah. Um, in this episode, maybe is some of the first time we kind of see the different worlds that they're not part of. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's interesting. So, I mean, in terms of that whole kind of arc, so that was one of the kind mm -hmm. of the two main angles that I was kind mm -hmm. of seeing in terms of, like, complexity and kind of delving more into who the characters are mm -hmm. and also examining, like, the themes and principles that this show is always talking about. For me, Carmela engaging with Joan Cusimano, there's this... Yeah, there's this aspect of selfishness, and it's indicative of her principles, I think, that really stood out to me. So it's like kind of like the non-morality of her back-channeling. Mm. And that she's not willing to let things take her course, and she's not willing to kind of like let the system work things out. She needs to be kind of involved in kind of a unfair, stacked kind of way. Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of the only way that that family is made a living. Mm -hmm. And then also, like, when she brings the regat pie with pineapples <laughs> to her, again, it's like this way of using food as a control mechanism. Yeah. But, you know, she says, the sad fact is that that's just not enough these days. When she says, well, Georgetown will see that. Yeah. And it's, the, it's this idea that, like, they kind of or she in particular, although all of them kind of see the world as this kind of zero-sum game, and that if they don't get involved, mm. that it's going to go and benefit somebody else. So they need to kind of, like, cast their lot. But the reality is that their actions are so toxic that it's always taking away from somebody mm. else. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I thought that that was really relevant when Joan was talking about the um, – person who she already wrote the, the letter the for. The nice Dominican You know, the boy. nice Dominican boy with a 5.2 GPA from the project. Yeah. Right? And so thinking about, and then Carmela saying, you know, I was thinking that you could go to Georgetown and say that Georgetown wasn't his first choice. And it's like, well, that's insanely yeah, fucked up. Yeah, that part was really fucked up. That's really crazy to think about now you're taking something away from him who, when you think about it, clearly has earned this so much mm -hmm. more and also comes from a place where he doesn't benefit from the privilege exactly. that Meadow has. Yeah, exactly. And nonetheless, she wants to have her way. And even though there's something that, like, she kind of comes across in a way that's, like, I don't want to say non-threatening because it is threatening to the outside world, but there's something kind of, like, tame about yeah, her actions. Yeah, it's a little bit like Livia. It's kind of like... Like, who, me? Yeah. Like, I wasn't being threatened. And also, it's like, that's something that exists in the world. Yeah. Which is a really kind of, like, frustrating thing. Totally. But um, that's something that can kind of be seen as, like, oh, she's just looking out for her family in some circles. And you could kind of see it as almost, like, almost a positive thing or an endearing characteristic of hers. But the reality mm -hmm. is that she's actually, like, taking something away from somebody mm -hmm. who's actually had a lot less opportunity and has actually earned their position through actual yeah. relationships. I guess, like, it's hard for me to judge the Sopranos too harshly on that. Like, they're they're also at a disadvantage in the way that private schools in the United States work. Like, they don't have the privilege that, like, someone who, you know, had a closer relative, like Hunter Scangarella, right. who's 
aunt went to read or whatever. Well, her dad is David Chase. Well, we know that in real life. But like she like that's like that's how the system fucking works here is it is about who, you know, and other rich people writing letters for you because they went to that college. It's this like nepotism kind of system. So like. In, like that's already happening. Yeah. The Soprano family is just trying to like get into that. Like yeah. they're trying to Definitely. access this world that they don't really have an into. Which is interesting like, too. Meadow yeah. would be the first person to go to university, I think, right? Like Well, Tony went, Tony for, a went for a day or yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, you know, like they don't have that same level of access into the system. Yeah. And so for me there's the, just like these multi-level. It's it's almost like the wire in some ways. Like this episode had a few of those elements mm-hmm. where I think it was like examining some like larger societal Mm -hmm. issues and and showing, I don't know, yeah, like the multiple layers of access, like with the Dominican boy, then the Soprano family, then like, you know, Georgetown alumnus or whatever. Well, yeah. Um, And how in each of those circles, there's going to be like different ways of um, dealing with these same concepts, right? Or different like levels of privilege within those systems. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, like, I didn't, I wasn't, like, I mean, it was, it was threatening what Carmela did and, like, really over the top. But at the same time, like, there's worse shit going on within that system already. Like, that's, they were just trying to get in. Right. To and there's system. an aspect that, of, that is broken. It is a broken system. Yeah. And there's an aspect of relativism, too. Like, I think mm-hmm. that all characters in Soprano World are always kind of, like, l- comparing themselves to others and feeling like they're left out mm-hmm. and that they want to get something. Yeah. And the Sopranos are no exception. So they see these things, especially in the context of, like, <laughs> maneuvering relationships mm-hmm. and kind of, like, maneuvering those to benefit oneself very much kind of in the same way that like the mafia ties kind mm-hmm. of work. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of a world that at least Tony in particular is very familiar with right. and kind of makes his living from by kind of like owning and manipulating and working with this kind of series of relationships and this network that he's cultivated mm. in order to benefit himself. So they're kind of looking out and see the way that this kind of nepotism and relationship Mm-hmm. Kind of, like, yeah. Yeah, um, that, it, that it can work in the real world, and they're just kind of trying to be a part of that. Yeah. And I feel like everybody is kind of constantly feeling like they're missing something that mm-hmm. other people around them have. Mm-hmm. Well, the other interesting part about that whole element is when Carmela first got the letter from Ber- – saw the letter from Berkeley. Yes. Right? She opened it, first of all, which you shouldn't do that to your teenagers. Don't shouldn't open do their mail. Yeah. Um, it's bad. bad. But then she takes the letter and she throws it away. Yeah. Right? Like, that's her first instinct is to, like, well, I guess kind of like what Tony was talking about with Melfi at the end in some ways. Like, she was trying to, um, shield their family in some way from having Meadow go so far away. Mm. Right? So Mm -hmm. she was, like... And but then she realized that there's like a better way to do it. And it's kind of like through this then like manipulation, like right. she, like she didn't have to let Meadow think that, you know, like she didn't have to let Meadow know that why she got into Georgetown. Right. Like she could still let her send her transcripts to Berkeley. Yeah. Um, and she felt like her manipulation of the system. Like, so, you know, if she gets this letter from Joan Cusimano, that that's going to work in her favor. Right. Like. So instead of like taking something away, she's like adding in her manipulation. 
Yeah. I thought that that was interesting too. And actually, I think that's that's a great read on it. Like, I thought that the fact that she threw it out and then went and took it out and actually did give it to Meadow also kind of differentiated Carmela as a character from some of the mob people because mm. she does kind of have a certain level of morality mm-hmm. that maybe some other people don't. Like, mm-hmm. her instinct is to throw it out, make it invisible, make mm-hmm. it go away. And I think some other characters, when they want would something, they would just that. do that. Yeah. But she is kind of, like, losing sleep over it and goes back and has to take it back. Yeah. But then, it, but there is that then added part of, like, go, like taking a different tack. Like, yeah. Which no, is, absolutely. like, you know, still, like, as immoral, kind of. I mean, it seems more positive on an outward level, right? Like, she could feel good, like oh, I helped my daughter to get this letter of recommendation, right? Yeah. Like, she can still kind of feel like she's coming out on top, but she's it's still the same level of manipulation, right? Whether she throws out the Berkeley letter or whether she, you know, gets this extra piece of evidence from yeah. Georgetown, it's the same yeah. result in a lot of ways. Right. Um, except that maybe she, I mean, not she completely. could see herself I mean, as the better person. I don't know. She could have completely kiboshed Berkeley. Yeah. So she, it's still yeah. in play. Yeah, I know you're right. You know, so it is like a toned down action from yeah. that. I did like how Joan Cusimano called Meadow Fielder. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a good Fielder one. Soprano. Yeah. <laughs> Fielder is a pretty cool name. It's a good name. Yeah. Um, okay, how about Matt and Sean? Okay. Why was he always taking a shit when they were opening... <laughs> these safes that's a pretty good question i didn't like that well i guess <laughs> i guess they talked about how pussy did that when he was a cat burglar maybe that's yeah, like a, a rite of passage or like a, a thing that like you do one person's job is to shit and the other two are supposed to open the safe it's a pretty important thing to do <laughs> <laughs> i mean how else are they gonna you know be so upset when they come to the office the next day i guess <laughs> <laughs> i thought that there was yeah, I mean, obviously, this episode has kind of the culmination of their identity crisis mm-hmm. and them trying to assert themselves. There was an interesting exchange during that scene when they're cracking the safe where there's just so much talk of who's the man and yeah. what men are mm-hmm. that it really stood out for me as, like, they're obsessed with this idea of asserting their masculinity. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And they're obsessed with being respected and being respected as men. So this, there was, the exchange was like, he the man, talking about Tony Soprano. And Christopher says, I thought you said I was the man. He the man, I the man, who's the man? And then the response is, are we not men? And it's just like incessant. Like it's just, yeah, it's so much. It's so much there. And I feel like that's really at the center of kind of like who they are as characters. It's just this kind of like chase yeah. of being respected. And then throughout the episode, there's so many things that are happening where that's kind of thrown for a loop. Mm. Like, so that scene later on when Furio comes, that's mm-hmm. really like, I think like a very key scene. So they introduce it. The mu- the the music is like this almost kind of like soft, like it's almost like porn music. Yeah, and you see a lot of like... <laughs> well, he has like his like bong. Like outlines of 
dicks. Yeah, and it's like his bong is like gonna buy his dick. Yeah. It's like very phallic. They're in their underwear just kind of sitting around like smoking on this. Like it's it's a lot. It's they're, a lot. They're really I don't like I don't know why suggesting they... homosexuality. Yeah. Between, yeah. It's I mean, even though I I don't think really they are no. at all. Like no. but I think that it's just like their interpretation of what it means to be homosexual. And that's not something that they want. Yeah. And that's seen as emasculating. Yeah. That that's how they come across. And then Furio comes and it's going to be my only color thing, but like with his associate, all black, they're in like not even fully clothed and what like they're wearing white is like underwear. white underwear. There's just like this contrast between them as characters. And then also them is this kind of like these imposing kind of like strong muscle members of the mm-hmm. mob against them who aren't even clothed. And then just, like, pushed around to give them another $1,000. Um, that really stood out to me as, like, well, that that probably is, like, kind of, like, the straw that broke the camel's back for yeah. them. Yeah. No, it's really interesting. I mean, I don't know. Like, I found that part, like, a little bit heavy-handed mm-hmm. for me. Like, um Maybe those two aren't like the strongest actors. I don't, I'm not sure what it. I'm not yeah. sure what it is. Maybe it was just mm-hmm. the you know, like the message they were trying to convey really clearly. Um, but I I don't really. I, the other thing I guess with that is like I just don't really buy them shooting Christopher. Like it just seemed yeah. like maybe I like I was missing a because scene they have a relationship something. with him too. That's the thing, and they know how close he is to Tony. Like yeah. I just like they, I think they were smarter than that. Uh, but I don't know. They do come across as pretty stupid. They totally do. Yeah. But and like and I love how they're like, I went to Pace College. Like they're right. like, yeah. really mad about that. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but I don't know. But I I. It seemed like a little too quick for or Maybe. something like that. Like yeah. there was something like. Richie didn't even really seem to give, like, for me, like, Richie wasn't even heavy-handed in saying anything bad about Christopher. No, he was kind of you just, know? like, shooting You know, he was just kind of, like, talking shit yeah. like he usually does, right? So, yeah. Maybe yeah. that's the point. I mean. Yeah. Well, and it's of all, like, all the seasons of, <laughs> of all the seasons of Soprano, this is probably the one that gets some of the most flack. Even oh, no, though, I'm, like, I'm not even going yeah. there at all because I love this show and, like, I think it's an amazing episode. But but that's fair, I think. I mean, I'm actually impressed by, in this season, for the most part, how efficient they mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. with a lot of things. Like, even to this point, Richie has had so little screen yeah. time. But he dominates the season Man. so strongly. Well, and this episode in particular is so good for Richie. Like, with yeah, this jacket amazing. thing. The jacket thing is so funny. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, And I always, like, admire... I always, like, got it. I always, like... Um, how do I say it? Like, I always appreciated like Richie's quirkiness with the jacket, but I didn't really appreciate like the other surrounding characters with the yeah. jacket too. Like how yeah. like Polly and Silvio are like rolling their eyes at the jacket. Also, like every, right, everyone's, yeah, nobody is Everyone's into just it. kind of like okay, nobody's interested. interested. Um, but for me, so okay, so that actually plays into what we're talking about about masculinity because for me. That jacket establishes Richie's masculinity mm-hmm. because he's obsessed with the story of how he took it off Rocky DeMeo, who, who was the, the toughest, toughest guy. Yeah. And then, you know, he showed him and then he got his jacket and that's really meaningful to him. But nobody cares. Yeah. Like that's meaningless. And I think what Richie has, as almost all the other characters have as well, is this like 
complete lack of empathy, complete lack of awareness of what other people value, mm. and this obsession with themselves. Yeah. And this obsession with their values. And yet they don't hold any value for the other characters. Yeah. And so I think that's why it's so meaningful for Richie, because for him it's a really big deal. And the fact that he gives it to Tony, I think, is very meaningful for him. Yeah. Like he truly is trying. And in his own way, that's about as much as he can try to make a peace right. offering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yet nobody cares. And then when Tony ends up giving it to Sasha. Yeah. <laughs> which I thought was interesting too, because you know, there's even that comment about how he was a mechanical engineer yeah. and now he drives a cab. And Richie, you know, again it's like well, okay, well, like, what about the justice of that? Like, Tony didn't want it. Like, who cares? Like, this guy can use the yeah. jacket. Yeah. And, but, like, that's not on anybody's radar at all. Like, Richie's just, like, completely furious and goes completely off the rails. Yeah. And we know that that's probably going to be, like, the instigating event that makes him come to, a, like, a head with Tony. Yeah. And that that's where the climax and the main conflict Spoilers. of the season is going to come from. No, I'm just saying, you can tell that from watching this episode. <laughs> you know that it's not going to end well. Right. You know that he's not going to just, he's not just, he's like, not taking it well. He's not going to let it well. go, yeah. Yeah, he's not going to, like, go to the spa and then be fine. Right. <laughs> that would be a good story. Um, well, you, like, yeah. It's it's really interesting. And, yeah, you can. Like, you could see how this, you know, based on what we know about Richie, right? And we see it kind of through the other part of his storyline in this episode with the Beansy and the ramp yeah. thing, right? These things are kind of intertwined. Um, and I think it reflects exactly what you're saying, like his lack of empathy and his lack of being able to see how, um, like how he has power over other people, right? Even though in like some interactions he's lower down on the food chain, he's like enacting this power wherever he can possibly do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The stuff with Beansy is interesting too, that like he's like under Richie's control. Yeah. I feel bad for ben Beansy. Beansy has a really rough go of it. I, I didn't really pick up on that in my previous viewings, I don't think. Just no, it like, just really sucks to be Beansy. It really sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like the interpretation that these characters, I talked about it being a zero-sum world. Yeah. It's because it is a zero-sum world. Yeah. For everybody involved with The Sopranos, at the end of the day, if somebody gets something, it comes from somewhere. Yeah. And so the reason why they interpret the world that way is because that's the way the world works for them. But it's sad to see, like, the lower you go down on the totem pole, the more people get screwed over. Mm -hmm. So even, like, Matt and Sean, that's part of the reason for their resentment, because they're just constantly getting passed over, screwed with. Right, like, and because Tony's Tony cut comes out of their half, not out of Christopher's. Yeah. That's how it goes in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let alone somebody like Beansy, yeah. who's, like, you know, life is taken away from him. Even, he doesn't, he has zero agency. Even his wife doesn't even have the ability to tell Vito. Yeah, Vito. <laughs> Vito, you know, to not. And his brother. Yeah, yeah. To not install the ramp. You know, or, you know, she she yeah. tries, but they're, they're still going to do it. So even that, which is like a, you know, in quotation marks, like a positive. Yeah. Generous. Yeah. Action. They, she can't even reject that. No, I know. It's really crazy. Yeah. Um. The other scene that really stood out to me this episode yeah. was Christopher's very romantic proposal scene. Very romantic. Um, that scene was crazy. I mean, you have him arriving at this, you know, this home. You can tell it's kind of like not in the same suburbs where, yeah. you know, Tony exists. Yeah. 
Um, and you see Adriana's mom, and he kind of like yeah. pushes by her to he get. Actually, like pushes her. Well, there's like he gets even more violent afterwards. Like he, yeah. uh, like when they're already upstairs, he really pushes her out yeah. of the way. Um, and then you have this shift, right, from like Adriana and her mother, like kind of being on this unified front. Yeah. And then when Christopher says that he wants to marry her, this like yeah. whole thing shifts, and the mom is still like speaking reason. Yeah. Um, and Adriana's kind of pushing her away and Christopher pushes her away as well. Yeah. Um, and seeing that made me just feel so sad because... Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, like, it's, it's you know, you see these characters who, like, you love them, but again, kind of like you were saying with Beansy and the jacket, like, well, I don't think you can see that this is going anywhere good. <laughs> Doesn't seem it. You know, like, and Chris gives this kind of hopeful speech. He's like, you know, what Tony said to me yeah. last week, he didn't say that, but at the party, um, like, that really clarified things for me. And he's like, no drugs, like, no yeah. messing around, eye on the prize. And she, like, wiggles her finger, ring finger at him. Yeah. Um, you know, so he, you know, maybe he'll do it. Which maybe is interesting this time too. he'll yeah. do it. Well, it's interesting, too, like, as a prize, like, she was essentially, like, kind of bought off by this, like, prospect of marriage and this mm -hmm. ring, which is so material, mm -hmm. like, in light of the facts of what was happening, like, she should not be getting involved with this guy again. He's been such an asshole. And that's what her mom is saying. She, like, and that was, yeah, and I mean, right, that was harsh. Reason. She was like, yeah, and she was like, next time he breaks your heart or whatever it was, yeah. this door is closed. Yeah. It's pretty, yeah, that was a pretty heavy scene. Yeah. Um... Yeah. And then we, you know, well, then we see like, the, the, you know, the episode ends, of course, with Christopher in the hospital and Tony saying, how could this happen? How could this happen? Yeah. And I, I think that's kind of an important question. Like, how do you get here? Right. Like, how does what are the factors that lead up to this? Right. Yeah. Um, and you, you can kind of trace it back in this episode even. Like, you can kind of trace back how this could have happened, right? Like, yeah, well, you even know, in that scene, the way he treats, yeah. you know, these up-and-coming Matt Bevilacqua and Sean. Yeah. Sean. <laughs> Sean. <laughs> Giamonti, something like that. I think so. Um, but, you know. We you, finally got it, though. We've had a few episodes where it was just Matt <laughs> and friends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, now we don't really have to worry about Sean either. Yeah, Sean's, that's right. Sean's not there maybe anymore. that's why we didn't remember his name. Um, but, you know, like, you can you can kind of trace it back. How did we get here? You know, or how could this happen? Um, it is through, like, you know, the interaction of all these factors to do with the power structures and the you know, um, the access that certain people have to certain things. And then yeah. if people don't have access, how they then react in yeah. order to try to, like, gain power, yeah. gain privilege totally. in that scenario, right? So, like, I don't know. That's how it can happen. Well, also, that scene, too, like, um, how can this happen? And I've talked about the composition of frames before, mm. the, like, classic soprano shot of two people talking and then the focus maintaining focus on something in the background that's relevant mm -hmm. to their conversation. And that's definitely happening in that scene too, where he says, how could this happen? There's like almost exactly the same as some of the other like framings that we've talked about, where you see somebody in between somebody, you see Furio in the back. Mm. So the relevance of him as somebody who came and emasculated them, mm. which led to this is definitely relevant. Totally, I didn't even yeah. catch that. That's really interesting. Yeah. Another thing about that scene, actually, where Christopher gets shot that's interesting is, like, as he walks out, just, like, the framing of 
that shot too. There's this big bridge in the background, which has been associated with death so much in this show so far. So like he comes out and they're, they're really kind of like sticking with their, their symbols to kind of represent what's coming. And then, you know, he's shot immediately after that. And the only other thing I can really think of from the episode is, um, I thought it was, it was interesting when they're cracking the safe and they're in there and that last line before the edit and they kind of cut away from there is where Christopher is saying like, can you imagine being here working day in yeah. and day out? So there's this kind of like this excitement that draws them to the world that they're in, but they all can't really process the like mundane existence of all mm. these people around them. And yet they all struggle with this, you know, regularness of everyday life. That's like an issue for a lot of these characters, right. including in this episode, Matt and Sean, who that's kind of one of their main qualms with their with their work right now. Like, what are they doing? They're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. It's just like everyday life. They're just doing like gopher jobs. Mm -hmm. you know? Is that a thing? Can you be gopher yep. jobs? Okay. Yep. Well, that's what they're doing. You can be a gopher. They're, they're gophers. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that is clearly like part of Christopher's psyche for sure, right? And I mean, he's talked about that going all the way back to Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti in the first season. You know, that's actually a term that he introduces, that fucking regularness of everyday life. But his inability to cope with working in an environment like that. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, punchy episode, but it's also, as the shortest one, I have, I have less thoughts. Yeah, a lot of these things maybe we'll come back to later. Yeah, and uh, it's, I mean, I love it. What a great episode. I love the jacket. Mm-hmm, <laughs> me too. And I think there is a lot going on, and it's really interesting. And I think we're going deeper into some characters, in particular Carmela. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can't wait for the rest of the season. I know, only a few episodes in the season left, really. Mm -hmm. It's going by quick. So... Hope you've been enjoying, and we'll see you next time.